Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear friends, thanks for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. John Russin here, the host nestled in the basement of a house in the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee for a change. Frank Friedman. How are you, my friend? It's another day as a gift from God with new mercies. It's just crazy, John. You know, you go through a day, you encounter a difficult world. If there's one thing I've learned, which would be two things, John, it's that this is a very unkind world and we are very fragile and we need a great big God and, you know, we can get worn out, exhausted, frustrated through any given day. But that next day is a brand new beginning with a great big God. And, you know, I don't ever want to sound trite or cliche, but it's proven out in our lives. Yeah. You know, no, I guess he meant it when he said new every morning. Yeah, <laughs> meant what he said. What That's a right. novel idea. <laughs> Frank, over the last two episodes, as you and I have been talking about forgiving others, it sort of dawned on me as I've talked to some folks since then that this is probably one of the most difficult things for some believers to do. Week one, we just gave kind of an introduction, talking about the need, why it's important for us to forgive one another. And mm. then last week, we took a little bit of a side tour, and we spent time looking at some verses that, frankly, have caused many people confusion with regard to forgiveness. Things that say, well, if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. So we covered those. But I do want you to rehash a point for us. And uh, it relates to your expression of the importance of understanding the covenants when it comes to reading scripture. And you made that statement in the context of Matthew 6 commands, if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven, versus Ephesians, which says you're already forgiven. So can you unpack that comment once again about the importance yeah. of covenants? It's so important, John. I'm glad we're getting to do it again. Like the real estate mantra is location, location, location. The teachers is repetition, repetition, repetition. And what we said is you'll never understand the Bible until you understand that God works in covenants. There was an old that was true under the time that the old covenant was in force. But when the new covenant was established in the cross and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, then the old covenant was no longer valid for us who are believers. And so I would put it this way, John, there are a lot of things that are biblical, but are not new covenant. For example, it would be biblical to have a tabernacle. It is not new covenant to have a 
tabernacle. It's biblical to offer sacrifices of sheep and cows and birds. That's biblical, but it's not new covenant. Those things were done away with, with the one sacrifice of Christ. So we find verses in the old covenant economy. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven, but they don't apply to us because the cross ratified a new covenant where God said it is finished. And by the one sacrifice, he has forgiven all your sins and sanctified you and made you righteous. So we want to live in the new covenant, not the old, and we don't want to mix them because that'll leave us confused and frustrated. We'll be kind of a schizophrenic, you know, I'm forgiven, but I'm not. And that just is going to be bondage. So we have to be new covenant purists. And that's what John, you and I have been striving to be and do for the last 40 years. Has it been that long? Boy, you're older than I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Almost 40, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, sir. Well said. You are so right. And I've met many people over the years who still struggle with being afraid of dying with an unconfessed, unforgiven sin. So it does rob every gram of joy from your life. So even though joy is a fruit of the spirit, boy, sometimes it's hard to tell looking at some folks. So today, Mm -hmm. my friend, I want to talk about a couple of verses we've already touched on briefly. These are Ephesians 4, 32, Colossians 3, 3. And both of those verses tell us basically the same thing. We're commanded to forgive as God forgave us. Mm. Okay. So the $10,000 question, of course, is this. How exactly did God forgive us? What does that look like? What did he do? How did he do it? If this is the template for our forgiveness of others, we've got to look at those two verses more closely. So what I'd like to do in the time we have left today is to do some deeper dives into a few verses. I've got some from the Old Testament, and if we get to them, some from the New, where we can begin to unpack the details of what exactly are God's views about our sin and how he handled them. So the first one is one we both know very well, Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so Mm. far does he remove our transgressions from us. So, Frank, I want to ask you a geography question first. (laughs) Okay. How far is east from the west? What does that really mean? Oh, John, what a great verse when understood. I think what we need to do sometimes with the Bible is not only call attention to what it says, but look at what it did not say that he could have said. For example, what if he said our sin is cast as far as the north is from the south? Well, then comes in geography. There is a North Pole, a line of distinction, maybe. When you go north, you're going to hit a North Pole. And then from that point forward, that distinctive pole has now sent you 
in a southerly direction if you continue going in a circle around the globe. If you go north, you eventually head south. When you head south, you'll hit the South Pole, you'll eventually go north. So if he had said, I'm removing your sins as far as the north is from the south, he'd be saying, well, I'm not going to remember them right now, but you better watch out because I'll remember them in a little while. But there is no east and west pole. So when you and I are on the globe and we head east, we're always going to be heading east, no matter where we are, as long as we stay in that direction. There's no way that we hit a point of distinction where all of a sudden we're going west. So east from the west is in reality, John, and this isn't this glorious, an infinite line of separation. Wow. Mind-boggling. And so why then, Frank, do we look at our sins so differently? You know, when we commit a sin, I remember 20 years ago I committed one. And uh, <laughs> I can think about that again. I can bring it up. It can make me feel bad. I can feel guilty all over again. But we don't follow that same pattern with mm -hmm. our sin, do we? We tend to bring it up again like north and south, beat ourselves up with it, continually drag ourselves down and tell us what a failure we said. We do that a lot. And as I was thinking about this, this thought came to me. I think the root of our problem when we do that is that we're setting our mind on the Ten Commandments you know, as the yardstick for our behavior. And because the Ten Commandments focus on sin, if all we think about is Ten Commandments, our focus is going to be on sin. So it's going to really make it easy for that sin to pop back up in our brains and beat us up all over again. But my friend, based on what you told me, God looks at our sin totally differently from the way I just described, mm -hmm. doesn't he? Mm -hmm. Yeah, John, I think there's a multifaceted basis, primarily the one you brought up, the issue of law. You know, when Adam sinned, he put the whole world under an economy of doing business where we focus on doing the right thing and avoid doing the wrong thing, which puts us in a balance beam. And we get this mistaken theology that we've got to live in such a way that the good outweighs the bad, but the bad is always there, can't be taken away, and so it can pop back up again. It will do that if we don't understand the finished work of Christ, that our salvation was never by law, it's always been by faith. But a second issue, I think, is when Adam fell, there was the lie that he would be as God. And so we're all recovering gods. And we are influenced by that lie today. We feel like we've got to be strong. We've got to be right. We've got to be in control. And those are all symptoms of being God. And we struggle with those. And so there's that aspect to it too, that heaven forbid I failed. And so therefore we have to beat ourselves up and put judgment on ourselves so that we can adequately beat up our sin and feel forgiven. And John, this is an interesting insight, but you know, in Romans 8, when it says there is now no condemnation, yeah. a lot of people mistakenly think that's no condemnation from God. That is incorrect. Take out the chapter verse divisions and the context will make this very clear. Paul says, 
I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm doing what I don't want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am who will deliver me. The condemnation is not coming from God. It's coming from himself as he tries to live under the law. So it's self-condemnation that we are to put a stop to because we've come to understand the finished work of Christ. One other aspect, and this is a big one, John. I love the way Juan Carlos Ortiz used to say it. God took away all our sin, but the enemy made Xerox copies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he presents them to us and tries to keep us from doing what God has done, which is forget them, put them aside, they're gone. Yeah, And he's very effective at what he does. Yes. I want to look at another little phrase in that verse, Frank. It comes from the second section of the verse. So far, does he remove our transgressions? It doesn't say, will he remove? You know, looking forward to mm. the cross and the new covenant. But it says, does he remove? That's present tense. And mm -hmm. so I was thinking, well, this is really interesting. And then the Spirit brought to my mind Psalm 51. And I know you're familiar mm -hmm. with Psalm 51. It's the Psalm David wrote right after he got busted <laughs> for, <laughs> for uh, committing adultery with Bathsheba and then having her husband killed. And I double-checked to make sure, but Leviticus 20 tells us that the penalty for adultery back then was death. And mm. Leviticus 24 tells us that the penalty for murder back then was death. And so David was on the hook. He knew God's mm. law. But he says in Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according mm. to your steadfast love. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Blot out my transgressions. And so as I thought about it, this merciful forgiveness of God toward us has been the rule, really, from mm. the very beginning. Mm. Forgiveness, complete forgiveness, and we'll talk about this uh, probably next episode, reconciliation and restoration. But, I mean, even in the Old Testament, you find thoroughly mercy-packed, graceful forgiveness on the part of our father towards someone who has committed two of the most heinous sins back then. That just mm -hmm. kind of blew me away, my friend. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Uh, the character of God is that he is holy, but he's also a forgiver. And so how does he accomplish that? Well, I love the book of Romans that says when his son came and died for our sins, removing them, paying the price, he became both just and the justifier. So he remained holy because he punished the sin, but he became the justifier by showing mercy to us through the cross. And I think David and other Old Testament saints, John, saw in that sacrificial system, which really God hinted at with Adam and Eve, uh, when that first animal was slain and clothed them in a clothing that was the provision of God. 
And then the sacrificial system, which was a clothing, a removal of sin in terms of covering the sin, it was all pointing to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who would permanently remove the sin. And John, I think this is in the mind of God, as we're told in in 1 Peter and other passages, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So this is mind boggling, John. God knew man was going to bring death upon himself before he ever created man. And he made provision for the death we would bring upon ourselves before he ever created us. Yeah. Whoa. You and I, have we're familiar with a guy, and he was asked that question. Why would God create us knowing he would bear grief, sorrow, hurt, and loss at his creation, turning their back on him and sending themselves to hell? And this dear gentleman said, it was worth the loss to receive the children he would receive that's us yes oh my goodness john very much so uh, i don't understand it but i'm uh, so incredibly thankful for it and frank if you want to get blown away there's another verse i want us to talk about before we focus this back on the main point of our conversation which is understanding how God forgives so we can forgive others. But here's the other verse I want us to talk about. It's Jeremiah 31, 34. You know this one too. Mm. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now, that is future, but it's not future toward heaven, which many confused believers uh, think. Mm -hmm. It looks forward to the new covenant and we can get proof. Just go to the book of Hebrews. And in both mm -hmm. chapter 8 and chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews quotes this verse to make sure we understand that this future promise will be fulfilled in the Messiah. In fact, was fulfilled in the Messiah. So it's no longer future. It is present. And I find it amazing that the writer to Hebrews thought it was so important that we understand that forgiveness is now, that he brought up the same verse twice, just a couple chapters apart now. So, mm. boy, is that important? <laughs> it's so important, oh, man. And I love the way you did that, John. Repetition, repetition. It sounds too good to be true, but it's true because God said it was true, and therefore, it's true. <laughs> and that means we stand completely forgiven of all our sin, even the future ones, for all time. That's right. It's just yeah, I ask a permanent you. blank slate. I mean, isn't that amazing? Yeah. A permanent blank state. Okay, so slate. I will remember their sin no more. This is where I want you to weigh in. I thought God knows everything. If he's mm. omni-everything, how can he possibly not remember our sin? Does he get amnesia? You know, what does that mean? <laughs> Explain to us what that means. Yeah, I affirm you. I agree with you. God's omniscient. He knows everything. He doesn't forget. He's making a choice 
to not remember them to us. And I think what he's saying is, I'm never going to put this in your face again. John, I think we get a confirmation of that with Jesus in John 21 with Peter. He asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he did it around a campfire. And you instantly, I think, ouch, what happened to remembering Peter's sins no more? <laughs> but it wasn't for the purpose of sticking them in Peter's face, shaming him, guilting him, condemning him. Quite the opposite. Every time he asked the question, he said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And the key there is, what had Peter been called to do before he fell? Feed the sheep. What's he still called to do? Feed the sheep. So when Jesus brought that up, it wasn't to throw it in Peter's face for condemnation, shame, or guilt. It was to bring it to him, to affirm him, you're still my chosen vessel. Nothing you've done has changed our relationship. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Pretty amazing. Thank you, Father. Yes, sir. Well, wow. It's kind of hard to focus when you really come to grips with what he's done for us. But I do want us to focus in these last few minutes, my friend, because our conversation today isn't focusing only on God's forgiveness of us, but God's forgiveness of us as a template, as a pattern for how we are to interact with others who wound us. Uh, of course, mm. we are commanded to forgive them, but you brought out a couple of points that I would like us to zero in on. And I'll start with the last one you just made. God does not bring our past sins up to us and lay them out before us, reminding us again. He doesn't hold them against us. It's as if they never even happened. So what does that tell us about how we are to treat those who wound us you know what does that look like when we are to forgive others that's a really high standard thing oh john it's a, a high standard that if left to our own resources we would never be able to complete i think you said once to me the forgiveness we have reconciled us to god but when we got reconciled to god we got restored to his life and therefore his life is in us and therefore we have him as our provision to be able to forgive. And so really, John, forgiveness, if you bump into me in the hallway, hey, forgive me, no problem. But when you're speeding out of the church parking lot and run over my child with your car, Hey, forgive me. No, at that point, John, supernatural forgiveness is going to be taking place. Forgiveness is actually supernatural. That's when the life of Christ flows through us in such a way with us in union with himself that we are able to release the debt that people owe us the same way he released ours so that now we can respond to what they did in love 
instead of reacting in rage and vengeance and condemnation. Oh, wow. Well said, my friend. You know, those two verses we talked about give us some really simple insight into uh, what forgiveness of others looks like. You know, if we truly forgive somebody, we remove their transgression as far as the East is from the West. If we truly forgive somebody, we will not bring up their sin ever again. And looking at David uh, and what he did with Bathsheba and her husband, and Father called him a man after God's own heart. Mm -hmm. You know, so all the all the things David did, all the things that were done to Jesus, even on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. He doesn't hold them, those grievous acts against the perpetrators. He releases them. Mm -hmm. And so this is something, my friend, that is not difficult for us. I use the phrase a high standard. Well, it's impossible. It's absolutely mm -hmm. impossible unless the life of Christ in us does it through us. And this is where the command comes in. We'll talk about this command a little later in a couple more episodes. But we have to comply. We have to say, yes, sir. We have to agree with God. We have to cooperate with him and let him empower us to forgive others. And then we have to take the steps to walk out that forgiveness. So it's really a two person type activity. You know, he gives mm -hmm. us the ability to do it, but we have to choose. Say, yes, sir, I will do it because I trust you. And I, I know that there's something more for me in this relationship, but it all starts with forgiveness. And that's why this is among the hardest things for believers to do, to let it go and not bring it up again. Wow. Mm. I would add two thoughts, John. One is that great promise from Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, faithful is he who calls you and he will do it. So he doesn't call us to do something without the promise that he will be the provision to be able to pull it off. And then secondly, just a slight clarification, when we say we remember no more, we actually mean just like Jesus dealt with Peter. We will never bring it up for the purpose of shame, condemnation, guilt, but we might bring them to remembrance to affirm them of our love and our potential call upon them to do what they need to do to restore themselves to the people they might have wounded. If I can just give an example. Sure. Had a person who sexually abused another person. Well, they repented, confessed their sin, received the forgiveness of their sin, no shame, no guilt, no condemnation. But I then called them in the words of John the Baptist, repent and bring forth the fruits of your repentance, or what James would be saying, oh, you have faith? Show it to me in the way that you live. And so I challenged them that they would pay for the counseling of the person they abused. 
that was bringing forth the fruits of repentance. Now, we did that without shame, without condemnation, without guilt, but a call for them to walk in love. And love always calls somebody to do the highest and the best for another. So it's not that we forget, but it's that we respond instead of reacting. And our response is one of love and restoration. Well said, sir. Well, friends, thank you for joining us on this episode. You've been listening to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. And if you'd like to be a part of what we're doing here, uh, you can visit our website. You can find us at OurResoluteHope.com. And click the donate button at the top of the page. And while you're there, uh, spend a while, look around, check out some articles, devotionals, ebooks, newsletters, all centered on the incredible truth of Jesus Christ as our very life. Check us out on our social media outlets. You'll find us on Facebook, on Instagram. We've got our own YouTube channel. And of course, we always remind you at the end of every episode, no matter what you're facing, no matter what the wound is that someone has given you, there is hope. And so choose that hope because that hope is a person. That hope is Jesus. So choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.